Mana 3 Media. Welcome to First Listen. I'm Derek. And I'm Justin. First Listen is a series of conversations where we hear from individuals about their experiences of what it's been like to grow up Black in America. Meet Greg. My name is Greg Smith. I'm from Los Angeles, California, from a community known as Watts, associated with South Central LA. And so in the projects, we, um, we were very active in just what was going to community. We were very fortunate because we had an organization called Mufundi. And Mufundi housed a lot of the black artists who would come from all over the country. Eartha Kitt, Moses Gunn, Sidney Poitier. Um, they would come in and they would bring their talents in for free and educate us in the community. Um, we had across the street from uh, the projects, we had uh, black churches. Uh, we had the, the Black Panther Party. Uh, they would provide lunches for us uh, during the summer, during the summer days. So it was a very, it was a pretty active community. We moved in at the height of the Watts riot. We could actually see the riot. Well, I couldn't see it because I was a child then. But from my understanding that they could see the riots burning from the projects. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a good community. Um, we were dominantly black. Um, we mostly everybody was poor and mostly everybody was single parents. We had a, uh, um, a train that would go through the community the divisive community. And in the in this train, when we say we live in the Watts, we live in the projects, if you go across the projects, you went to a place called Southgate. And in Southgate, you were not supposed to be in Southgate for long. But Southgate, we had a we were we were in a food desert. So Southgate had the Vons Market, they had the Taco Bells, they had the Kmarts, they had all of those things that we didn't have. So we would have to go to Southgate. And but Southgate was literally right across the tracks. So, you know, you know when to come, when to leave. And it was very apparent that you weren't supposed to be there. And so but so we knew how to respect ourselves. We didn't go over there cutting up as I began to grow up, you know, and to learn that, you know, when you come over here, um, you know, you need to watch you need to watch your place. It was very apparent because racism was racism wasn't hidden um, in Los Angeles. It was it was just it was organized. So we had Southgate, we had Huntington Park and Huntington Park is where most of the, the big stores we would shop at, which was next door to, to Southgate. So we know when we go there, you know, we have to be, you know, a, a, a conduct ourselves accordingly. But at a certain time of night, you know, we bust the cash to get up out of there. I'm working in a nonprofit industry. I run an organization called Human Impact Project of, of Atlanta, which is housed only a few feet away from us. Um, you know, been and been at this since about 2012. And the the nonprofit organization was originally designed to help empower uh, people in the community living with HIV uh, in the LGBT community. But we have since transcended uh, to begin now focusing more on the workforce development because of the COVID epidemic and how it's affected uh, our community. And so when it comes down to funding, it's it really is like a have and a have not um, because there's systems that are put in place to make certain kind of Negroes get money where others kind of Negroes can't get money. It used to be a time where where mama wanted to help feed the homeless, her and, her, her and some, of the, some of the neighbors, they would go sit at the table and they pull food together and they go out and feed the homeless. When you try to do it in an organized way now. The money structure is set up to where either you have great financial records, either you have certain people on your board, or you won't get the money. Well, then you, when you get so little money, you have crabs in a barrel. 
And so what they do is they pit organizations against us. We, so we, pit, we pit ourselves against one another because we're all trying to make an impact, but there's very few dollars. So one of the things I learned is, in this community is that it really is, um, the economic injustice is really about us looking at, we put together a system to where we're not designed to succeed. So we're gonna look at now, you know, funding wise, well, how do you not, how are you guys now justifying your funding? You know, it's about trying to find new monies and that's very difficult. And I had a young lady who worked for um, a train, a corporate training company. I'm not gonna say their name, but they for a corporate training company. And she came down to the agency, she loved what we're doing. She said, I would love for you to meet my husband because he does this kind of work too. He does this printing work and X, Y, and Z. I'm like, oh, okay, what's cool, that's cool, it's cool. So me and her, we finished our business, set up a customer service training certification program. We got the fee structure ready. We're gonna negotiate with the city. So by the time we, the city is shut down, so we, you know, we didn't have to shut down our project. So I call her and I say, look, I'm gonna speak to your husband. I have an idea that I wanna, I wanna implement so that we can continue to try to, we can, we can raise money and create jobs in the community. The same day I go and meet with her husband, works in the city. They work for a big printing company. And so when they're working for the printing company, I'm thinking I'm just gonna meet with him. I meet with him, I meet with the CEO, and I meet with the chief development officer. And so I sit down with them and I present my project. They are like, oh wow, this is great. Now this particular company is, is, is one of the largest in, in, the, in the country. I sent everything over to them. They, I walked in with a full presentation showing them what we would like to do, all Caucasians. As we're going to do the work, I'm excited, they're excited. I'm talking back and forth with the husband. We're talking every, every day, two or three days, two or three days. All of a sudden down, I could barely get a phone call. I can even get an email. Then all of a sudden, oh, we didn't see your email. All of a sudden now, then the, 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 one of them says, be careful because someone's not gonna steal your idea. So y'all done took my shit and y'all done gave it to somebody else. And so they asked me the question of, so how do you wanna, how do you wanna do this? Do you want us to reimburse you or do you wanna get a percentage of whatever, whatever, uh, whatever we do? And the CEO says to me, cause I don't know what happened between when I left the office, he said, you're the pitch man. He said, you're gonna be the pitch man. You're the guy. I love what you brought in here, X, Y, and Z. I went from all this wonderful greatness. I had, we had great plans. We had put projected numbers together. I did sales forecasts, everything. We don't even get a phone call after about two weeks. But I spent money. I spent money for mock-ups and everything. But it was them cutting a, cutting a brother out and they went with the guys they went to. So finally they sent me to some people in Minnesota. I finally found some folks in Minnesota. And you know how people talk to you? And they talk to you, but you can hear their condescending manner. And I couldn't understand where it was coming from, but I'm so focused on trying to move from the, from the, from the ghetto to the get mode. I'm just, well, let me get this, let me get this on. So finally they would send me prototypes. The prototypes was never correct. We got to go back and forth. It took them a month and a half to get my stuff right. And at a certain point, everybody in mind got so distancing signed. Infrastructures are set up. And how much money do we make? Nothing. You know, and so, but so those are, those are things where, you know, for me, it, it was, it was see, Y'all do business differently, but they didn't want to do business with us. We try to build organizations to, 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 to empower our, our community, but we can't get the funding unless we have somebody who don't look like us. And it's not that a person is being malicious, it's just that people who fund, who provide funding, they look at certain, they look at certain values. In this community, 
majority of workforce development programs are not run by us. They always hire one or two of us to come and look like us. We'll spend our own money first before we go to the bank because the bank has historically has been racist. But by the time we get to the bank and now need the loan, the bank has debt ratio versus credit rating. Well, we have a good credit rating, but you're going to decline it because of debt ratio. Well, most Negroes here ain't go to the bank first to get no money. They don't expect to get it. Especially if you're a business, because in a business, they want you to come in with all these financial statements. Most small businesses, they're just their mom and pop. The racism just doesn't come from the white person. Racism comes from black people. And so we begin to look at racism and saying, but you in the bank, you look like us. You talked us up in that corporate room, but you're talking us down here in this, in this community room here. You said you was going to get money to give to us. You know we got a debt ratio problem, but you won't ask them to change the rules. Why? Because you don't have no power. You have to be perfect in every aspect of the way in order to get them loans. Coming from Maxine Water, everybody know Maxine Water. Coming from Maxine Water said we was I was doing lobbying work up in up in up in D.C. and she said, you know what? We fought for black banks to get this money to help and loan to our people, but they have created standards just as hard as the white banks have. And we have, as she said that 20 some years ago, to date, it's the same damn thing. Go over there to the Fifth Third Bank, go over there to the Capital One Bank, go over there to the Citizen Trust Bank. Them the Rose gonna tell you the only thing we can give you is a credit card and your debt ratio better not be high because we gonna tell you no. We can't give you no bank loan because they already called different ones who already been with them for years, the safe ones. They don't wanna take a chance on us, but they talk a chance about us in them corporate rooms to get that money. See, the problem in our community is not just white folk. When we talk about impacting our community, we must be conscious of just because you're black don't mean you got our back. We have to look at the dissemination of the money and the process and how we get it to people knowing just like you cut channels to get the money to us, you got to cut channels, you got to cut that paperwork to get the money to us. Because if you got that little store over there, he don't have the same kind of paperwork that that BP station over there have. And you shouldn't have an expectation of that. And so we look at now, across the country. If we look at giving money to any organizations, people of color, just because they got a whole bunch of board members and they got all them, all them fancy rooms up there, don't mean they're effective in the community. Small businesses run America. Small community-based organizations take care of America. It's the small organizations that make the greater impact. It's the small little store, the small little shop. And so we look at our community here, they just built a whole big old development over here. Supposed member people with disabilities and all this whole year, you had to be damn near dead to get in them things. And I don't know, I understand why they. Uh, this is our challenge we have right now. We even even like here in um, the city of Atlanta, they're building the Beltline. The Beltline is squeezing good folk out. The Beltline is squeezing good folk out. It's we don't even own anything, but. These houses there that they're rebuilding, because when we had the housing situation that happened here, uh, here in Atlanta, it was not white mortgage companies, white 
real estate agents taking grandmama and auntie them houses. Them black Negroes coming at selling them houses, flipping them houses, taking them houses from them. Right now in our community, we have all these houses there. They're now re rebuilding. They have invested Atlanta, giving folks some money and all that stuff. They don't, the people don't look like us, but then we also have these investors coming in. Now these investors look like us, but they're not investing in these houses. They have no intrinsic value in our community, but they're black. Just because you're black don't mean that you got our back. And I keep saying that to people because those same black investors, a lot of them are black Republicans. Yeah, a lot of them are black Republicans. And they got, they don't have a debt ratio problem. They're the ones getting money coming in our community. We know who you are. We ain't stuck on stupid, caught up on crazy and fixed on foolishness. We know who you are. So when, we, when you flip all these houses, we got one guy, he has 110 houses over here. What the hell are you doing with 110 houses? I'm part of a, a small business coalition and you got some people doing some phenomenal work and they are robbing Peter, paying Paul, tying up Larry, Gag and Mary just to function. But everybody in that coalition, not one of them has got COVID money. Not one. And if they ask the question across America, well, who got it? Well, right now we have 1.5 million applications in the system. And so we'll get back to you. I didn't hear that. I mean, I didn't just write that. I mean, I, that, that's what they said to me. I talk, I call them at least once a week. Well, you, Mr. Smith, we see you in our system. Um, but you know, we got 1.5 million applications in here. So what are you supposed to do with that? You know, when, when the, the mayor has money, the, the mayor, the, the city, they have money, but their money is all allocated, same, same challenges. So there, there's or agencies that get them, there's folks who get them because they had the paperwork. We're paperwork short because you, we don't have financial forecast and, and, and projections and all that. Well, SBA, this is what they're asking for. And a lot of these, or a lot of these small businesses, they don't have that. And it doesn't make them bad if you say, well, well, let's look at their bank account. How long have they been in existence? And so we had to look at, say, well, no, what are our common challenges? Well, we need to get money to the people. So you got people who are good, hardworking people. Well, a hungry child for me, regardless of what race they are, don't make a difference to me. But if you got, you can't get money from the bank because of your debt ratio. I can't get money from, from the bank for debt ratio. That means we got a common challenge. We're not going to win the fight alone. You can close your eyes to anything. You could turn off the light. Um, I mean, you can't convince people that other people are being oppressed. You can only show them um, because people are going to hear what they want to hear. Um, I can't I can't convince you to help to empower my community. Um, you know, sometimes we get caught up in trying to convince the wrong people uh, to change minds because people are going to believe what they want to believe. Um, so when you, when you look at to say, well, this doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist for you. Why? Because it's not your experience. When you are taught as a child uh, to behave a particular way, to take precautions in a particular way, it's no different than the lion, tiger, or the bear in the jungle. Um, there's some instinctive natures that you know, but there's some things that you're taught. And so, like you know, going into the grocery store, you know, we don't walk behind a person who is um, who is not our color. In fact, most of the time we don't walk behind women, even if you're a woman. Uh, especially if you're a black male, uh, we're going, going down the street. It's very common to, to cross the street. Or if you don't cross the street, you slow down. If you slow, if you don't slow down, you move over to the right or to the left. It's ever easier for you so you can go past them that you don't want to be put in that position. 
And so there's a, I don't even hear the story about the, about the baby elephant. Um, there's a baby elephant who comes into the circus and the trainer brings the baby elephant into the circus and the trainer takes a steel peg, a steel chain and a shackle and places it around the baby elephant's ankle. And so for the next few months, the baby elephant pulls and pulls and pulls to at a certain time of the hour of the day of the week of the month of the year, the trainer will return to the baby elephant, remove the peg, remove the steel chain, remove the shackle and replace it with a wooden peg and a rope. The baby elephant is now 10 times the size that it originally was, but it's now programmed to never pull at the rope, never to pull again. When you train an individual or a group of people never to pull, when you've broken their hope, when you've broken their chances, opportunities, you're gonna get all kind of despair. A lot of people in our communities won't pull, but I talk about common challenges. Change is mandatory, growth is optional. Um, you know, I've been actively involved with a lot of the work. Like when we had access to the building, we printed out a Black Lives Matter signs and the Go Vote signs, and we just passed them out throughout the throughout the, all the protests. You know, to engage the people. I want to be very clear: Black Lives Matter is systemic of police brutality, of unfairness. I know they want to attach all the other economic stuff to it, but it's systemic of that. And so we'll begin to look at the police, police um, reformation, because I'm not about defunding no police. It's about reforming. You see, I'm not afraid of the white cop. I'm afraid of cops. Because a black cop is just as bad as a white cop. And see, what we talked about in, and I wrote a plan on our reform, on the police uh, law enforcement reform. I, wrote, I sat down because I, I was trying to figure out what you're trying to figure out. What can I do? And so one of the things we talk about law enforcement reformation, again, I'm from a brother from the hood trying to do good. Now, I know as a 14 year old boy going down uh, uh, 103rd Street in Watts, getting pulled over by cops. I'm on my way to the library. I'm a 14 year old boy. Two black cops pulled me over. Scared the shit out of me to this very day. I hurt behind what they did to me. You see. Racism is a weapon of distraction. Policism is bully culture. The same challenge that I have on 103rd Street in Watts is the same challenge that Billy Bob has over there in that rural county. The police have created a culture of bulliness that goes back his history. All of them, because it's the brotherhood. We know they have a history of falsifying reports. They do it all the time. Whether you're black, white, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, trisexual, whatever it is on them damn forces, they all do it and they do it like it's nothing. So we look at the social challenges of the day until we change that, until we look at how we begin to have a new way of policing, making cameras mandatory on everybody. And don't come to my where the money coming from. We find money to go to, go to Iraq and Iran, we can find money to, 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 to get our police force. When we look at the social injustice now, the beautiful thing is, and I love the pictures, I, I, I did so much work trying to figure out what we wanted to do. The beautiful thing with the movement now is, they marched in Denmark. 
They marched in, in, in London. They marched in South Korea. They marched in Japan. They, 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 they marched in, in, in Brussels. They, they, they marched in places where they say, well, shit, we can see what's going on. Now you do have opportunists. There's never gonna be an opportunist. Cause I remember doing, I was remember in, um, um, in the eighties doing the, the Rodney King, the Rodney King beating. I would never forget that day when the verdict came. I was living in Inglewood. I was living in the Crenshaw district. And we were, we were sitting there and my best friend we were sitting on TV watching it. And when the verdict came down, we said, oh my God. Well, the, the stuff started two blocks away from me on Crenshaw district, Crenshaw and um, Crenshaw and Martin Luther King Boulevard. Because we know wherever it is Martin Luther King Boulevard, there's a, um, there, there's a ghetto. And so when it started, people just started looting, but people were being opportunist. And so when we look at that, we look at it, say the social injustice now for the Black Lives Matter, these kids have done a phenomenal job. You see people, they say, well, well we're not marching, but we brought, we, we, we brought food down here. Um, we're not marching, but you, you got folks who don't look like me with cases of water and food and pizza, young and old because everybody gets it. So when we go back to whatever person say it doesn't exist, of course, of course it doesn't exist to you, but there are folks who, who get it. Our challenge is gonna be now is, how do we now, and I'm hoping it's gonna happen with, um, within the Biden administration for national law enforcement reform. And President Obama uh, had a task force. They originally put together a task force to uh, make recommendations. But now we have to broaden that, that component because our national law enforcement reform must tackle several different areas. It must tackle the area of, of people being, people currently incarcerated. It must tackle the area of background checks because that is a normal problem. People get put into the system and you don't know, it, it could be your best friend. It could be somebody who know you in the neighborhood. You know, they just got your name and they, and they know your birthday. They, they just got your name and say, well, you live in so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so place. These are ch challenges where you have people being locked up for reasons they shouldn't be locked up. We, we overpopulate the jails who are in there over marijuana, marijuana charges. Now that y'all have commercialized it, now it's okay. But there are people who paid the price for it. Trust your instincts, go with your gut, detach from the outcome. Detach from the outcome because the gut tells you, just like every animal in the jungle, there's no university to seek danger, but you know it's there. Trust your gut. The challenges in the black community are no different challenges for the poor, for the poor white folks over there in the Allegheny Mountains or over there or over down in, uh, um, up in Athens somewhere, you know. Our common challenges are people are broken. Their hope is broken because none of those problems cared about your race. Poor is poor. Mental health is mental health. Well, we got mental health problems here that we can't even talk about. You know, in our community, we have, we learn to function. Those are challenges. The challenges is that when you decide to do nothing, that's a challenge. But when you decide to do something, it's going to challenge you. One of the great lessons comes out uh, comes from Dr. Martin Luther King out of his letter to uh, letter of the uh, letter in the Birmingham jail. And I believe it's within the sixth or eighth paragraph of the letter. He begins to talk about the Negroes who are silent. 
because everybody wasn't for the civil rights movement. And so you have Negroes who they say you want too much too soon. And so we begin to look at uh, people who are complacent and just neutral. Neutral means that you, that it doesn't mean that you have, you have picked a side. It just means that you're just going to close your eyes. You're going to hope for something. I know, I know a lot of folks say, well, you know, well, Jesus is on the way. Well, they, we, have, we, we have one of our signs doing the Black Lives Matter, WW, uh, WWJD. You know, we all know in the Christian community, what would Jesus do? But our WWJD means what will justice do? So when you be neutral, and you want to sit there, you want to wait on whoever you want to wait on. It's about seeking justice. And so being neutral is not about bad or good. It's about you have made a decision and your decision is to do nothing. So when you see uh, when you see somebody gets killed, well, you did nothing. When you see somebody uh, 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 going to jail, uh, 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 violence happening, you did nothing. A young man came to Frederick Douglass one day and he was sitting on Frederick Douglass' porch waiting for Frederick. And Frederick said, I'm tired. I, I, I'm tired. I don't, I don't, can we, can we meet another day? He said, he said well, sir, I really want to meet with you now. He said, they're, they're changing the policies that we put in place to protect us. They're, everything we work for, they're reversing. What should we do? And Frederick said, agitate, agitate, agitate. Black Lives Matter movement was about agitation. If you're irritated, then we got you. If you're blind, we got you. Because our job is to irritate. If we don't irritate you, we don't get on your nerves. If we don't make you just uncomfortable, we ain't did our job. Those kids did their job. When the Honorable um, John Lewis says, get in good trouble, agitate, agitate, agitate. What Black Lives Matter has done for our country, our nation, what we can't comprehend, and they were writing in history books, historically, outside of the civil rights movement, nothing has brought a cross culture of people together like this before. So if you can sit there on TV and watch it and not be moved by it, the question is not what they're doing. The question is, why, why are you not doing anything? That's about you. That ain't got nothing to do with me. In order for us to have our vegetables and fruits and all that, you know, the bees got to sow the pollen and stuff. They got to do all that. You see, all y'all been stung and been repollinated. See, you wonder, well, why am I, why am I feeling this way? Because you got some pollen on you. Uh-huh. And, and, and see, and see you're, you're now growing to what you're supposed to grow to. And, and you wonder, well, why am I uncomfortable with it? Because you got some pollen on you. Because people have been exposed to something and it's not going away. It's not going away. They're reading their textbooks differently. They're watching the news differently. There, there was a video where the father was berating the black delivery driver about coming into the building. But it was a little boy. I said, Daddy, stop. That's not right. Daddy, stop. That's not right. The little boy had more common sense than the daddy did. That's the pollen. That's that pollen. And it's not about, it's going gonna, it's gonna to season itself. It's, it's now in its place. And what's going to come out of that? Something that's going to make an impact. Because there, they knew it. And there's a lot of young kids now who they watch the news and they watch what's going on in the world. They see the world completely different. The, 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 the movement didn't go away. The movement just sowed the pollen. 
because at a certain point, they're going to get it that well, we need to get with the program now. And praise the Lord, some of them will go back in hiding. Thank you, Jesus. You know, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Go back in hiding. <laughs> but that's, that's what's going to make to me it's what's as, as now we look at America as being and being in, and doing what we need to do is, is that there are people going to come from all kinds of different places and they're going to want to help. America is a great country. It's not about making America great again. America is a great country. We're not perfect in no shape, form or fashion. Uh, we have flaws like any other country has. Um, but we have skeletons in the closet. Policing is a challenge. Um, but also too, uh, economic injustice is a challenge. Uh, unemployment is a challenge. And we talk about economic adjustment, we talk about housing. Very, about another 10, 15 years, the majority of our black community won't even be in this community. Um, so when we look at, to continue to make America great, is, is really us looking at your level, you know, your, your, what you're passionate about. Because for me, it's around jobs. You know, you, you, you can't, if a man can't feed himself, what do you expect him to do? You expect him to hustle. Um, when we look at it, we look at this, the socioeconomic challenges of housing. You know, it's hard making decisions when you don't have housing over your head. And so there comes a time when, you know, you, all of us, we want to go somewhere and do something. It's like you got to get other people out of our head, living rent free. Like I may help one person a week, one person a day, may help two, three people a month. So how many people did you help? Oh, 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 you know, I'm busy. I got this to do. Okay. That's, that's what we can't do because you rationalize something to where I'm now attached to the outcome because I really know what I want to say. I knew, I, I knew where I wanted to be. I had a whole draft plan for our agency. That plan is out the door. Our ego, we get attached to the outcome. It's like a science. And science, you get in the science lab, well, failure is a lesson. Oh, oh, I thought I was going to do it, get it right the first time. Oh, you want to, you want a home run on, on, on the first at bat. Oh, 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 you want to make the first jump shot. Oh, 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 you want to make the first. Get off the cross. We need the wood. And so sometimes it's, you know, we, we look at it because we really want validation. And that's one of the hard parts is that when we're doing work, we want validation. The validation is not supposed to come from the outside. It has to come from the inside. Because that's where the fight is. That's where the struggle is. And there's a degree of risk in everything. But each person weighs that. And it's not about bad or good. It's not about right or wrong. It's about healthy and unhealthy. You know, what's healthy? You know, when we look at, because sometimes um, it's not the discussion that needs to be initiated. It's the administrative policy that needs to be changed. Uh, it's the curriculum that needs to be addressed. It's speaking to power. Sometimes we're frustrated with people we're speaking to and they ain't got no power. And see, so when you're speaking to somebody who don't have no power, of course they're gonna be resistant. Of course they're gonna be they're gonna flip off. But you ain't got no power. But I always say this: every time you speak to somebody about the issue, you get better at speaking about it again because this is rehearsal. We got to be able to walk down to that, that city council's office, walk in that mayor's office. I voted you in. You my principal. You my dean. I'm having an issue. I'm speaking to power. That's rehearsal. You don't give nobody no more power than you. Although I'm better than no one, no one is better than me. It's important that we hold our local community officials accountable because they're the ones talking us up. 
So y'all going to talk us up then y'all need to give up some of that money so we can make the impact and make sure we can do what they do. We don't have enough conversations because they don't never give the money directly to the citizens. They give it to the local officials, our county officials and our state officials to be able to say, we got to make sure this money gets where to get to. But our issue is not just money. Our issue is we have a generation of people whose hope has been broken. Old and young. And so how we do that is going to take a collective effort. But it's everybody figuring out what role do I play. During the civil rights movement, there was crucial pieces. There were mothers making lunches. There were women who put their life on the line to give folks rise to get to work. Find your peace. Everybody don't have to be Martin Luther King. If you want to get involved in the movement, just find your peace and do it to the best of your abilities. People figure out what they want to do. Sometimes what to do is to cut the check. If you got to be able to cut, cut the check, just cut the check. You know, they, you got, you, we, we now have uh, social impact funders where you have good people who say, I want my money to impact the community, but they want to have a measured outcome. That's good money. The challenge is, is that does the money get to the people who can really make the impact? You know, and so we look at now, uh, you know, trying to impact ourselves and everyone's trying to find their way. Everybody can make a difference. Everybody can make a difference. And we use a simple analogy of coming together collectively as a community. Because see, if we want to be a beacon of light to empower and infuse people and help people, if you bring your light together, I bring my light together, we become the lighthouse. We have one youth group over here. Um, they, <laughs> they call themselves uh, gangster growers and they're working with the inner city that has a high crime rate, but they're using a garden to create jobs to feed the people in the community. They found their niche. Everybody finds their niche. And, it's once, and once you find your niche, you got it. It's, it's yours because you don't have to control the agenda. You just want to know what's your part. What's your, what's your small piece of the pie? Remember, each and every last one of us is a, is a light. And finding who you come together with is not going to be who you used to being around. That's one of the things. Now, I have robbed Peter, paid Paul, tied up Larry, and gagged Mary to keep these doors open. But the people that I hang out with don't come to help me. That's not their job. My mama and my auntie, they don't come to help me. That's not their job. They're people that we love. That's not their job. Because we have to come further and further away from the shore, deeper and deeper into the ocean to become what we have been predestined to become. Because the closer we stay to what we're comfortable with, the more we're gonna always stay on land. And it's, it's imperative. So, well, 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 so what do you do? Go with your gut. And that, for me, is where you begin to make an impact. Greg had, man, he just dropped the microphone and just, <laughs> just left. Man, he was one of my favorite conversations we had. He had so much experience and knowledge. And uh, with his uh, experience as a community organizer um, in the nonprofit sector and in the part of Atlanta that he's in, um, I just like, we got done with our questions and I was like, 
I, we just got to keep going. I just want to hear more from you. Like, yeah. just keep talking. I don't even know what to ask you anymore, but. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting thing about that conversation uh, was that even within the, the black community, right? You, you don't just have to look out or watch your back for individuals that look different from you, mm -hmm. right? But even within your own community, you have to sometimes be careful about, uh, you know, the individuals who um, are, are in positions of power and authority. And right. in, in particular, he, he talked a lot about uh, police. Mm -hmm. um, Atlanta is the black mecca of the South, right? And so when you think about um, professionals who are thriving and, and doing well and, and calling the shots, and I think, you know, what we noticed about his conversation is that individuals with power, you know, whether it be black, white, you know, Hispanic, uh, you know, any, you know, there could be corruption or abuse of power. And so he talked about his experience when he was 14 um, from when two black cops stopped him, right? Yeah. And, and how, how they treated him in that experience is something that even to this day uh, brings up, uh, uh, you know, I guess, bad feelings yeah that uh, i loved his catchphrase that he said several times um just because you're black i mean you got our back mm -hmm. and uh that was just a, a kind of a new concept for me that i had we had not heard in previous conversations mm -hmm. and um yeah i mean again just a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of um passion and the way that he talked about the black lives movement and mm -hmm. um how different it has been um from previous um, civil rights movements in that it, it was worldwide mm -hmm. and um, different nations marched on behalf mm -hmm. of Black Lives Matter and um, how amazing that is. Yeah, yeah, you know what? And, and so even thinking about that, thinking about crime, thinking about police, right? Um, and so this, this the idea of, of, of defunding police, um, you know, and I, and I get it and I understand it, you know, some people are for it mm -hmm. some people are against it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about the idea, not saying that, you know, you know, Greg, Greg doesn't, but, um, just for our listeners, if you, if you've heard the term defund the police, but don't really have an idea of what that means, what it means is taking uh, it's 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 taking the the funding that was um, dedicated to uh, police forces that were used to purchase military militarizing uh, the police militarizing yeah. the police, right? And so instead of taking that money or appropriating that money for um, for police uh, stations um, to purchase those those items and materials, take that money and invest it into more mental health counselors, mm -hmm. right? So we think a lot of times when, um, you know, all the, the cases where um, someone may have been killed and it was a mental health concern, mm -hmm. right? Um, how could we have, could we have done something different? Could right? there have been a de-escalation through different um, professionals that could speak a little bit better to that situation yeah. than a, a cop who maybe not wasn't trained for that, mm -hmm. that specific 
instance and no for no fault of their own mm-hmm. um but just that wasn't put into place yeah 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 and so you know and so i i think uh and, and even now within my work right i'm hearing uh you know so we have what's called school resource officers within the schools and there are a lot of people who are saying you know hey you know let's remove the 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 police officers or the cops from the school building um and to me i don't think that is the best approach, right? I think, you know, thinking about what we're doing here with first listen, right? I think um, you need to bring two parties together, mm-hmm. right? You need, and, and until we begin to sit down and have those conversations and, and begin to understand each other and what our experiences are and how we view each other, right? And come to some some common solutions and work together to come to common solutions, then I think we'll continue to, to see the pattern that we've, we've seen. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think there's work that needs to be done in, 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 in multiple areas. There's sure. work that needs to be done, um, you know, um, as a result of being hurt, mm-hmm. right? Or being abused or marginalized, right? right? Um, and then, you know, to, to be able to accept, because a lot of times, you know, in these, in these conversations, we, we talk about, you know, the, the listening, but also, you know, from, you know, being a, a black man in America, I have to be at a place to where I'm open, uh, to truly receive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an individual when they've done the work that they needed to do when they're trying to repair what right. needs to be repaired. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. We appreciate you checking out First Lesson. First Listen is hosted and produced by Derek and Justin and is part of the Mana 3 Media Network. We'd love for you to click subscribe and tell a friend about us. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts.